Let me share with you the 10, the 10 God questions every Christ-centered pastor must answer correctly. Let us pray. Father, speak through me, bless through me, transform through me, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll be probably be dealing with about two or three of the questions in the next few um, minutes. The 10 God questions every Christ-centered pastor must answer correctly. Because to be able to build a Christ-centered church, you have to be a Christ-centered pastor. A Christ-centric pastor. Your thinking, your behavior, your everything must, must be Christ-centric. And I want to teach you this. So write these things down. They are going to help you. It's going to help you it's going to build your ministry. It's going to lay the foundation of your ministry. It's going to help your Christian life. It's going to transform your Christian life. It's going to help you. So write them down. Write them down as we go on. I'm going to move quite quickly. So question number one. Where are you? Where are you? Genesis 3. The, verse 80, the verses 8 and 9. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord. God, as he was walking in the garden, in the was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord, the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to them, to the man, "Where are you?" Ask the next person, "Where are you?" Ask the person, "Well, where are you?" You know, I, you, I hear these things a lot. God can use me anywhere, anytime, any place, and I am ready. Yeah, God can, but he wouldn't. Because you cannot handle it. If God decides to use you anytime, anywhere, any place, you can't handle it. God can, but he will not because you can't handle it. That was why after God creating everything, created man, and put the man in a garden. And the garden was located in a place called Eden. And even in that place called Eden, there, he put the man in the east. He put the garden in the east of Eden. There were other cities, though. There were uh, Havila. And other cities. But God did not put Adam everywhere. He put him in a garden. The garden was somewhere in the east of Eden. God put Adam there and gave him an assignment there. This is where I want you to be. Take care of this garden. Dress it and keep it. For the other ones, the sea and all the other lands left, God did not give Adam any assignment there. This was God's assignment, a place for Adam to work. A place for Adam to work. I shared this testimony with my, my church members. I want to share it here with you. When I wanted to go to Bible school, in 1989, I wanted to go to Beni City, Beni City to study under the leadership of 
the late Archbishop Benson Idahosa. I was 21. And I was trying to go to Nigeria. I had to raise $600. I didn't have it. I wrote to my uncle in America. He didn't respond to it. I thought it was a wrong address. Years later, he came back and said, Ah, you were the one who wrote to me. Eh? I didn't know why he didn't respond to it. Then I went on a retreat. But in that retreat, I was with Dr. Mills. He's here. Um, Dansoman. That lady's church. You no, know, we went to lay in that church for a whole week, praying a minimum of 10 hours a day. Asking the Lord to give me $600 to go to Bible school. Before I went to the retreat, I had spoken to a man who said, oh, Idahosa was his friend. He was going to call him, talk to him, so that Idahosa would give me scholarship. So God should either give me the $600 or Idahosa should give me scholarship. When I finished praying, 70 hours of prayer, and I went to meet this man. When I got there, the man who had promised you to talk to Idahosa, when I got there, he said, but you cry, why do you want to go to Benin City? You are too young. Idahosa has a branch of his school at Latebi Okoshi. Look at Benin City and Latebi Okoshi. He showed me the place. He said, if you go there, I'll pay your fees for you. I'll help you. So the next day, I went to Latibi Okoshi to look for the school. Uncompleted building. They were sitting on benches. Lord, after 70 hours of prayer, is that the answer? But guess what? It was in that Bible school that I met my wife of 29 years. We've been married for 29 years. And I can tell you 90% of who I have become is because of the woman I'm married to. Because of this conference yesterday, you saw her moving up and down. You know what? I, I can just decide to do anything because my wife will just take over from there. God had no place for me in Benicity. Others were doing it, but he had no place for me there. Others were going, but it was not meant for me. God, if I had gone, God would have come to Latebi Okoshi to ask for me, where are you, Gideon? Where are you? There's people sitting here, God is asking, where are you? Because where he placed you, you are not there. Where he wants you to be, you are not there. You have chosen your own location. Are you here? <clears throat> Let me tell you something. Greed is taking us away from our place of abundance to look for abundance. I'm telling you, everything God made have their places of abundance. When I finished school in Europe, I had gotten another scholarship to go to Sweden to study. I had gotten a job with a missionary organization in the UK. 
in one of my prayer times, the Lord comes to me in a city in Germany called Wuppertal. I was in a friend's hall. I was sleeping on a student mattress in a friend's hall. The Lord said to me, everything I created have their places of abundance. The fish will multiply in sea and the tree will bear fruits on land. He said, Europe is not your place of abundance. Say, if you live here, you will suffer, you will fail, you will die. But you know, before I left from Ghana to Europe to study, I thought that that was going to be my place of abundance. Because I've seen people who have gone to Europe and they have come with cars, they have come with houses, they have come to build houses, they have come to change the lives of their families. So I thought that was my place of abundance. But it was greed taking me from my place of abundance to look for abundance. I came back empty-handed and the Lord led me to this place empty-handed 22 years ago. Today, look at what I've become. Because anytime God comes looking for me, he finds me. Because I am where he wants me to be. I am where he wants me to be. Don't leave your church because you are offended. Don't leave your, I come today with it. Don't leave your pastor because you are offended. That is not how we do ministry. That is not how we do ministry. You don't decide where you want to be. God does. By tomorrow, I will, show you, I will show you that the concept of comfort zone is a fallacy. That I want to be in my comfort zone. I want to be in my comfort zone. I will show you something. That let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. The zone doesn't have to be comfortable for it to be the will of God for you. Sometimes, the will of God will be for you to be in the will of the belly. In the belly of the will. Finish. Hmm. Are you here with me? There are some of you, eh? You are good, though. You are anointed. But you are not where God wants you to be. So God is asking, where are you? Every pastor is looking for a good soil. But only few pastors are willing to toil for it. Because a good soil... It's not a soil that is, has absence of thorns and absence of rocks and rough places. So you have to work hard to make the soil a good soil. I always tell people that my spiritual father, Reverend Nijon Gashon, gave me a good soil when I left Bible school. But it didn't mean there were no thorns on the land. It didn't mean there were no problems in the church. It didn't mean there were no weeds among the weeds. 
There were not only weeds growing on the land. There were also weeds growing there. But to make a land good, you must plow it. To make a land good, you must plow it. So there are many people sitting down here right now looking at me, looking looking at me right now who have left their places of abundance to look for abundance. Who have let good soil because they are not ready to plow the soil. Recently, I had some good money. I was going to buy a very big land somewhere, build a Bible school, because I ran the Joshua Leadership Residency Program for free, and every year until the COVID, I will have a minimum of 100 students, pay them. So I was going to actually import a tent five, uh, four times the size of this tent, build a Bible school, move to a new area, have 100 students to come in and stay in the boarding facility and start a church with them. Then the Lord said, I brought you to this place. This is your place of abundance. If you live here, your ministry is finished. The money could only buy two houses, broke them down, and put this tent here. Say, the Sprinter's Road is your place of abundance. Are you here? You must be spiritually alert. To know where God wants you to be. Listen. To know where God wants you to be. Ministry is, is location driven. No? It's location driven. Please. It is not everywhere a mango tree will grow. That a cassava can grow there. You must know who you are. And where God is placing you. And that's why you have to be very spiritual for God to order your steps. And be sure that where I am going, that's where God wants me to be. Are you here with me? Do you understand what I'm I'm dealing with? So where are you? Answer that question. Where are you is not also only a place of location is also where are you in terms of your seasons it is also time related if i call pastor prince here and i tell him pastor prince i'm sending you to kumasi to go and do something for me i, I expect him to reach kumasi in four hours if six hours time I call Kumase and he's not there or the person is going to see calls me after six hours and say, your son is not here I will call him why would I ask him where are you because he is not where he is supposed to be at a certain season at a certain time he is late in his journey there are some of you where eh? You have missed your seasons. So God is looking for you in your harvest season. You are in your sowing season. And God is saying, where are you? 
Some of you, God is looking for you in your sowing season. You are patching somebody's harvest. And God is saying, where are you? So you must understand your seasons. Or else you will miss it. Many people, eh? They are what we call seasons and transitions. At every season in your ministry, you must transition. If you are afraid to transition, you will miss it. And when you miss a season in your ministry, you go run, 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 and come back. And nothing will happen. If you miss your sowing season, and your harvest, your harvest season will come, but you harvest nothing. You harvest nothing. And you have to keep going. Your winter will come. Your summer will come. You have to keep going until you come back to your harvest, your, your sowing season again. And you start. I've seen a lot of pastors who are now doing what they were supposed to do 20 years ago. And the zeal and the capacity is no longer there. And they are struggling to do it. Where are you? Question two. I will end on this. I'll end on this. Question two. Who told you that? Who told you that? Genesis 3 verse 11. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Who told you that? Who is talking to you? Hmm. I went into a church. I was employed in a church. Immediately, I got that employment and I preached my first sermon. A group of people in the church suddenly became my friends. Oh, they will come to me. They'll bring me gifts. It was too sudden for me. Bring me gifts. Bring me envelope. People will come to church on Sunday. The church was in the mission house. So they come with, with bags of rice in their car boots and they would dash me this and they would dash this after a while they started telling me negative things about my senior colleague hey, this guy watch him oh he's bad oh he's like that oh he's like this oh i kept wondering how can i be in this church in some few months and you people will love me this way and hate the one who had been here with you for all this while. There, I felt there was something amiss. I decided to investigate it. Then I discovered the history of the church. The guy who had just become my senior colleague had actually undermined the previous pastor and reported some things about the previous pastor to the founder of the church who was based outside the country. So the founder of the church came and sacked the previous senior pastor and he was promoted. So the supporters of the pastors who were sacked were the people who became my friends. Because they had bitterness against the other pastor and now wanted to use me to fight their battles. Who told you that? Who is talking to you? 
me tell you another story of a young man had potential. He was actually in the world taking drugs and other things. And then he was brought into a church, this same church I'm talking about. Then I was a pastor there. We ministered to him. Even my senior colleague took interest in that boy. Years later, when I met him, he had become a pastor. Nice guy. He was an administrative pastor of a church here in Ungwa. And finally, his uncle, based in the UK, came and opened a church in Takrade and took him there. He used to come to Accra almost every month to come and see me. We would talk. I would mentor him. I would pray for him. And he was doing well. He was doing well. He was excited. He found fulfillment. He was doing something. They were building a chapel. And the time he was talking to me, my church was in a wooden structure. But he was building a chapel. Wood, I mean, block chapel. He was excited. Then, I didn't hear from him for some months. Then he came one day, said he has left his church. So he's now, he was now in Accra. And I wanted to join our church. I said, but you were working with your uncle. What happened? The, somebody was coming from the UK. A church leader. And the uncle sent that church leader that when you go to Ghana, go to Takrade, where we are building a church, and go and see the work there. Go and see how my ne- nephew is doing. See whether he's pastoring the church well, whether the numbers he's sending to us, he really has those numbers. This church leader gets to Takrade, goes to the site, and says, ah, is that the building? Oh, all the money your uncle has raised, he has even roofed the building. They became friends. And he asked him, how much are you paid? Then the guy told him. He said to the guy, no, but your uncle takes more than that for you. He should be sending you more money than that. The guy on hearing that resigned. And the amount of money that guy was earning, me, his mentor, I was not earning that amount of money. I was struggling. During those days, we do church under canopies. You, you hire chairs, you hire canopies, and your offering was lower than the cost you incurred to run the church. So after church, you go and deliver the canopies at the church, and you beg them that you will come and pay them next week. One Sunday morning, eh, the ladies told me, no, I'm not giving you chairs and canopies. You are owing me too much. I had to go around looking for, oh, it was a serious matter. And this guy was earning better than me. And I resigned without consulting me. The next time I heard about him, he was a petrol attendant. He was a petrol attendant, fetching petrol. I heard about him again. The wife was dead. When they came to Accra, didn't have money, the wife was dead. That conversation he held with that church leader, the supposedly church leader, changed his ministry, destroyed his family, has destroyed his life. If we meet him today, 
You will never believe that that gentleman who was pastoring a good church in Takrade is the guy who is a petrol attendant in Accra today. Who told you that? Who is talking to you, pastor? Who is talking to you, pastor? Who is talking to you? Who is talking to you about your senior pastor? Who is talking to you about, about your church? Who is talking to you about your colleagues? Who is talking to you? Let me show you. The, you see? Seven dangerous people you should never have a conversation with. Seven dangerous. If you want your ministry to survive and you want to be a Christ-centered pastor, seven dangerous people you should never have a conversation with in your ministry. Am I speaking? Number one, those who are insolent. Those who are insolent. These are people who are showing disrespectful behavior towards their spiritual authority and thinking that it will not have effect, any effect on them because they are right. You know how you can come to a conclusion that between you and the spiritual authority, you are right. And so, your attitude, your negative attitude and rebellious attitude should be tolerated by God. Because you are right. This one I know I'm right. And he is wrong. Don't talk to these people. I've been in ministry for so many years to understand. That what people tell you about other people. Any conflict that you take sides with the other person, the person will have a similar conflict with you. I'm telling you. If I rebel against my spiritual father and come to work with you and tell you all the things he did to me and all those things and you pretend to be a good father so you take me, I will eventually have the same type of conflict with you. There are a group of, of arrogant young pastors in town today who cannot submit to any form of authority and fight anybody who represents an authority figure over them. See them on Facebook, putting things there. Even some of them, I call them the puppet police. This is to analyze other people's sermons. Every hard-working pastor preaches a minimum of three sermons in a week. Multiply it by 52 weeks in a year. You are getting a minimum of 150 sermons. A minimum of 150 sermons. Minus invitations to speak elsewhere. Minus leaders training. Minus <laughs> this and that. Minus all those things. Oh. Minus all those things. And yet there are some people who have not preached the last six months, they haven't preached one sermon. What they do is to sit down and find the theological inadequacies of people's sermons. Of people's sermons. And the surprising thing is that when they are attacking your sermon, they quote from John Wesley and quote from 
Martin Luther and Kofi. As if people, people also disagreed with their theology. Martin Luther led, led a reformation. But it wasn't everybody who agreed with Martin Luther's theology. Wasn't everybody who agreed with just finished theology? So you cannot quote another man's theology to disprove another man's theology. The Bible is the final authority. I know whether this is right, but those who are insubordinate, those who are insubordinate. Refusal to obey orders issued by spiritual authority as a way of showing your displeasure. I know young pastors who will decide that I have been sent to go and visit someone, but I won't go because my senior pastor has done this. Throughout, maybe by the time I finish this, I'll share something I call the Titi Affair. By the time of the conference finish, the Titi Affair Manifesto. Some resolutions I made from the beginning of my ministry that has really helped me today. Some resolutions I made from the. I will never associate with anybody that has that that cannot submit to authority or take orders from a spiritual authority. I said when I, I was in Bible school, okay, the, 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 the class itself divided itself. All associate pastors were in one group and senior pastors were in one group. It, it, it came naturally. So I noticed, I noticed that anytime we went on break, junior pastors were in one table talking against senior pastors. And senior pastors were on one table discussing how to grow their church. And because I knew that one day I'll be a senior pastor, I said, let me start learning now. When Jesus knew he was going to be a rabbi, at the age of 12, he was in the temple asking questions and listening. And moved away from. If you want to learn how to drive, you become a mate. You work with drivers. Yeah. I want to be a driver and then you are working with footballers. How, how is that possible? So I moved away from them and joined the senior pastors. Learned a lot of things. Let no one poison you. Tomorrow I'll talk about why are you angry. And I'll show you that the same thing that will make somebody angry will make you hungry. So don't let somebody's anger dilute your hunger. Are you here? There are so many things that I have been through as a pastor that should have made me bitter. But it has made me better. Because I don't get angry. I get hungry. When I see that people are despising me, that is where I begin to feel i need to prove them wrong so i don't get bitter i get better 
Always tell people, listen, when you are, okay, I'll come. Let, let me not preempt all these things. When God asked um, um, Cain, where is your brother? I'll come and talk about that question and what it means in ministry. But for now, take this from me. You have a different, I always tell my pastors, say, every one of you must deal with me based on your personality. Individual, I want individual relationship, not group relationship. Not group relationship. You cannot go and meet a one person's bitterness, passes it through all the others. Then you all come together. Because what, what is making you bitter is making somebody better. Are you here? My wife and I, when we are taking paracetamol, she, she chews it. Me, I drink it with water. So it go. And, and I'm like, how can you chew paracetamol? What is making me bitter makes her better. So what your senior pastor will do that will not offend you may offend your colleague. Let your colleague carry his offense, not you. Let no one transfer bitterness into your heart. And this will be one of my major sermons I preach. Because I know how this thing has destroyed a lot of emerging pastors. When God called you, that person was not there. When the judgment day comes, and your work is being assessed, that person cannot help you in any way. Build your ministry, declare your independence from other people's emotions. And be, emo- and be emotion. Three, don't listen to those who incite. Those who incite. There are people who encourage, who encourage rebellion as a payback type. For an offense by a spiritual authority. One person can incite people, put them together. And sometimes you don't know what you are involved in. You don't know. You are just involved. And there's some people that is a spirit that controls them. They can incite people. They can tell you things. And you get very angry. Don't listen to those people. If you want your ministry to go far, yes, if listening to Satan cause them their place in the Garden of Eden, don't allow the devil. And this is the show up. Where was Satan when the earth was formless and darkness was over the surface of the deep? Where was Satan? It was only when man, God made garden and man settled in his garden before Satan showed up. Sometimes it's when God is about to settle you. That people show up and start telling you things. I've seen some before. I have seen, I've been to me, I've been in meetings. I've been in meetings where people will not talk in the meeting. But after the meeting, they'll start making phone calls. Say, Charlie, me, this I disagree. You. I disagree. Let's boycott the next meeting. I disagree. We have been there. And once you call me, one day we were on some platform. Very big people on the platform. 
Then I saw one person had just left the platform. So I called the person. I said, Papa, I see you have left the platform. Say yes, I have left and I'm not coming back. I said, why? So the meeting we did yesterday, we discussed a lot of things. I came to agreement. People have been calling me to try to lobby me to stand against the decision that was reached. And I don't want to be among a group of people who make phone calls after meetings. If you were not courageous to speak your mind, don't call a meeting after a meeting. Oh, Reverend Moses and I were, we worked together for years. You remember how after a meeting, we used to come to your house to eat. Remember we had a colleague that would always try to turn us against the chairman of the meeting. And our position will always be, we'll listen to him. When he goes, we'll say, Charlie, we won't do it. This guy, what is, and he always had an agenda. And the agenda he was pushing was to make him better than us, but wanted to use us as human shield. Oh, I, I have seen in a church where someone was promoted and somebody, one pastor was offended that he was bypassed and that person was promoted. And his offense was not against the one who was promoted, but the one who promoted that person. And guess what he did? He used the one who was promoted to fight the one who promoted him. For his own interest. And the one who was promoted was demoted. And the two of them were sacked from the church. Some people have this spirit. They have the spirit of the, the Philistines, the people of Gerard. They, they, don't, they don't want to go and fetch water from Isaac's well, Abraham's well, that was that. No, we will fill it. We will fill it with dust. We will cover it. Because I don't want to owe you gratitude. Most of you here are fairly young and you know my calling. God has called me to prepare the next generation of leaders. And when I'm speaking, I speak from a revelational point of view. I speak from God's, I believe that I occupy the office of Samuel. I'm a king's anointer. And I believe that most people are anointed will become bigger than me and greater than me. Because you know why? Saul anointed, Samuel anointed Saul, but Saul was a king, Samuel was not. When God told me that, so he anointed David, David was a king. When God told me that, I would say, God, why? Why will you make me a king's anointer, not a king? So I'll be anointing kings, kings. Say yes. I want you to prepare people to take the kingdoms of the world for me. So these things I'm sharing them with you. I'm speaking from if you if you have an ear, if you you are in the spirit, you will hear that I'm speaking from the throne room. You will know that. God is calling your attention and God wants to redeem you from a certain distraction. Disconnect from any of these people, those who incite. Disconnect from them. I went into a church and I was told the history of the church. That one day, eh, 
they came to church. And all the youth, the youth came to church, but they did not enter the chapel. Because the youth pastor had led a revolt. They were asking the church to modernize. Buy new equipment, change the way they sing their songs. And the church leaders were not listening. So that Sunday, they wanted to show them. They wanted to show them where Pepe, <laughs> where the power, power, power lies. They wanted to show them. So they came to church. And the youth were some for in the choir. They were playing instruments. They were, all of them were outside. Singing Jama. Today, that youth pastor has become a senior pastor. And the way he's suffering. The way he's suffering. He is on his fourth marriage. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You want to break the house of God? God will break your home and destroy you. I'm telling you. Listen, God is slow to anger, but it doesn't mean he does not get angry. So if you will get away with it today, you will get away with it tomorrow, but by the third day, he will punish you. For those of you who are not pastors, who are church leaders, keep these things I'm sharing with you at the back of your mind. Keep them, write them down. Never forget them. Don't you ever dare in, under any circumstance to incite a rebellion against a spiritual authority. If you don't like what is going on, walk away. Simple. Before you, we were. After you, we shall be. Do you know what I'm not afraid of anymore? I think God wanted to use it too. I'm not afraid of people walking out of my life anymore. Because I've seen so many, I've seen that a lot of times and nothing changed. I rather got better. got better. One of the buildings mommy and I bought, there was this pillar everybody said we couldn't break it. If we did it, the house would collapse. Then we got an engineer who came in and said, oh, when you remove it, you put this one, put this one, put the, the house will stand. The house is standing up to now. And it's carrying weight. All you need is for God to give you one supernatural engineering wisdom. Those who think they are they are unmovable pillars, God Himself will move them away, and you will still be standing. Are you here? Am I teaching you? Am I blessing you? Oh, I used to have a conference called uh, 40 Things Every Pastor Must Know in Ten Days. I used to teach for seven hours. I'm, I'm having the same energy, but I'm not teaching. I'm not teaching for seven hours. I'll leave you soon. Okay, let's go. Can you move into the next one? Let me show you something. Those who are indifferent. Hmm. You, you go to a church. You even wonder, are these people pastors? Nothing about the church bothers them. They, they are just there. We advised him and he didn't listen. So, we told you not to buy tents and he bought tents. So if it's getting torn, it's not our matter. We, we told him not to buy it. Oh, but you're a pastor. That, ah, we told him. I don't care. We told him. 
We told him not to buy that microphone. So if he's giving him problem, let him struggle. We are not touching it. Oh, let him suffer. Let him suffer it. We told him not to move the church here. And he moved it. If the people are not coming, we are not the one going to look for them for him. We, 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 we let, him, let him do his thing. Let him do his thing. We told him not to marry that woman. If he has married a woman and he's suffering, let him suffer. We will not come inside. There are pastors that have that kind of attitude in the church. They are indifferent. Every month they will collect money. The only thing they are not offended about is their monthly salary. Oh, we went to a meeting. We gave him advice. He did not take. So me, when I go to meeting, I won't talk again. Hey, if you have staff, you come to meet. Somebody sits down and doesn't talk. So the meeting, call the person. Why didn't you talk? And mark the person down with red pen. Are you here? You cannot be in a church and decide that nothing about the church concerns you. We told him he didn't take. It's called followership detectorship. You the one following. You want to detect because your opinion was not taken. You are so offended. That you have decided to be indifferent. I'm not going to touch anything. I'm not going to do anything. I will watch them suffer. Let them suffer. I will watch them suffer. Okay. Let me see. Next one. Those who isolate themselves. Watch them. Suddenly, you are a pastor. You have cut relationship with your senior pastor. You have cut relationship with your colleague pastor. And then you come to the church. After service, you pick your Bible. You go. Then the next service time, you show up. After service, you take your thing. You go. For one month, you have not even said hello to your senior pastor. When you see people are isolating themselves, be very careful. The dangers of isolation. And you yourself, you yourself, eh? when you isolate yourself, you are in trouble. Satan didn't show up until Eve was alone. Until Eve was alone. Especially offense-driven isolation. You must deal, you must deal with it. If I haven't called you about offense, then you have not offended me. But when I feel offended, I'll call you immediately. Because if I keep that offense in me, I'll give you authority over me. I allow you to control my emotions. So that the things people do, and they think I'm offended. I rather feel offended that they think I'm offended because what they have done it's not something that should make me, at this stage, that should make me bitter. It means you, you look down on me. <laughs> Are you here? You look down on me. Be careful when you go into a church and somebody says, media don't belong to any group. Oh, what, what, what? Let's join the women's group. They gossip too much. Let's join the youth group. 
they do this too much. Let's join this thing. They do that. The official groupings in the church, the person does not belong to any of the official groupings in the church, but the person is forming a personal group. Oh, there are people in church choirs that have the official church choir platform and have the unofficial one. And the unofficial one, some people are not on it. It's a dangerous issue. I think a pastor, a pastor must be in every platform in the church. You must be on it. Once you are on it and they decide to form another one, mark them. Now, do you know that our London church, for instance, our London church, for instance, I am on their women's fellowship platform. I am on their men's fellowship platform. I am on their youth platform. I am on their workers' platform. I am on every platform. Those who isolate themselves, watch them. One time I spoke to one of my staff in the office. I said, I've been with you in this office for one month. You haven't come to greet me. There might be something wrong. He said, oh, because when I come, I don't see you. I said, it's because you see your salary every month. But if you were not seeing your salary every month, you would have time upstairs to come. Because there are people in office who every week if you don't see me, will call me and find out that you haven't seen in the office by you for one month. Okay. Let me conclude on this one, if there's another one. Independence. Watch those who are very independent. Becoming a king with your own rules in a kingdom where there's already a king is opening yourself up for satanic setup. There are people, eh? Who want to be in the church and play by their own rules? Oh, Daddy says the conference is starting at 7 a.m. It's too early. I won't come at 7 a.m. It's too early. It's too early. I won't be there like that. He's 7 a.m. Would he have been up? I won't, I won't be there like that. I won't be there. I won't be there. And he can't do anything to me. He can't do anything. I will not be there, but he can't do You watch it. You watch it. I will be there, I will be there in my own time, but he cannot do anything to me. Welcome to the kingdom. Welcome, you have set your own kingdom. Welcome. Do, do, do you know that when I was a young pastor, when I was a young pastor, one thirty-first night, December thirty-first, December thirty-first, I was then living at Achimota. Our church was in Salam down. So I said, okay, let me come to my mother's place at Adabraka and sleep for two hours and go for the watch night service. When I woke up, it was 4 a.m. The watch night service had gone. The next Sunday service, I was shaking. My senior pastor would question me. He did not. The next pastor's meeting, he would question me. He did not. You know how I felt. I felt very insignificant. I felt rejected. The fact that I was not rebuked and I was not corrected 
made me feel. I was, I was, I was thinking. So if Reverend Mills had not gone, or the other pastors had not gone, wouldn't they have been questioned? Is it because I am insignificant? But you see, most people don't think this way. Most people would think that the man is afraid to question me. Most young pastors would think that, Charlie, me, me, me when, I, when I don't go to jail, they can't even question me. They can't even question me. They can't even question me. me. They fear me. They fear me. They fear me. I felt so bad, so insignificant, that I went to ask my senior pastor. I was on 31st, so I saw it. I said, okay. Hey, this and this and this and this and this and this. When I finished explaining to him, he said, no, but you, you are a serious person. I knew there would be a reason why you did not come. So I knew there would be a reason why you did not come. I knew there would be a reason why you did not come. And, and there are people in my office, that's the way I treat them. There are some people, they are so serious. When they are not in the office, I don't bother them by querying them. I say, no, this person, so let me just overlook it and let's move on. Are you here with me? Don't be independent. Don't make yourself a king in somebody's kingdom. The rules must apply to you. And you must live by the rules, govern by the rules, and humble yourself and submit yourself to the rules. It will make you better. So in all, in conclusion, tomorrow I'll see you at 7 a.m. In conclusion. Tomorrow what time? 7 a.m. Is this a kingdom? The king is giving a rule. Tomorrow what time? Now hear this. In conclusion, never get bitter. Always get better. God bless you.